Uh, There are two uh, main announcements this week. One has to do with CPC missional communities. Uh, Our missional communities are those who go out into the places where we live, work, and play uh, and serve uh, the world. And uh, we, we've actually got one missional community represented here, those who are, uh, you know, supporting and building into Troop 55 Boy Scouts. And we've also got uh, Girl Scouts as well that, that we support as a church. Uh, there are other missional communities that, uh, that focus on refugee care, on orphans and widows, uh, on artists, young adults, to name a few. Others are fighting injustices like human trafficking, uh, fighting against the sex trade and poverty and so on. And uh, the common thread for all the missional communities is that that they're all living missionally, all seeking to contribute to, in the name of Christ, the common good uh, in our city and and beyond, and to be the aroma of Christ when we leave these walls. If you're interested in exploring possible involvement or just to try a a handful of the missional communities out, uh, information is there for you in your bulletin. Uh, And then the second featured announcement this morning has to do with Nashville Institute for Faith and Work. That's the faith and work integration uh, uh, organization that was launched out of our church uh, about a year and a half ago. Uh, NIFW will be hosting this week uh, what they call a lunch and learn, and the focus uh, is how faith intersects with corporate culture. The, The featured speaker is Lisa Slayton, and she is with the Pittsburgh Leadership Foundation. Uh, And uh, these lunch and learns, they always fill up, and so uh, you'll want to get first dibs uh, out the door if you want to be part of this, because it will fill up as soon as they they advertise it uh, online and on the website, uh, if if the past is any indication of of what will happen this time. So that's this week. Again, all the details are, are there in your bulletin. So what I'd like to do now is turn our attention to to the message today. And uh, if you've been here, you know that we started a series on the Sermon on the Mount a couple of months ago, and we've been working through the Beatitudes, which is sort of like, you know, the, the, the prologue or the, the beginning of the sermon. And today we're on number eight of eight. And it, it, it's a very peculiar sounding Beatitude because it says blessed, which is a Greek equivalent word for happy in the original language. Happy are the persecuted. Happy are you when you're slandered. Happy are you when you are bullied because of your friendship with Jesus. And so before I get into the message, I'd like to uh, read the scripture with us. You can turn your eyes to the screen there for that. This is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. So admittedly, this eighth beatitude requires of us a a bit of a paradigm shift, to say the least. Um, And I think the first thing to acknowledge as we read this and as we sort of internalize uh, the reality of what John Stott wrote about the Beatitudes, that every Beatitude describes what every single Christian is meant to be, I, I think it's important just at the very front end to acknowledge the tension for those of us who live in a world of freedom and safety, as we do, 
that our world of freedom and safety is very peculiar to the Christian story as a whole. You know, Jesus said in the 15th chapter of John to his disciples, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but you are not of the world. But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. You will bear witness. Now this word witness in the original Greek, the word is martuiete. And the root of that word is, is, is what gives us our English word martyr. To witness for Christ was to martyr yourself. Now this has been historically true, that the pervasiveness of persecution inside the family of God. It starts all the way back to the beginning where Pharaoh's Egypt held the people of God, the people of Israel in captivity, and, and Pharaoh enslaved them and oppressed them and persecuted them and demanded that they make bricks without straw. And, and, and of course, that led to the great Exodus event, you know, foreshadowing the salvation that Christ would eventually bring. Or if you go to the Old Testament prophets, both the minor prophets and the major prophets, virtually all of them are writing into a context of exile, where the people of God have been taken into captivity, either to Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon or to uh, the, the, the superpower Assyria. And, and, and once again, the people of God were oppressed and, and made vulnerable and persecuted in those environments. The ascent of David to the kingship, you know, David the one who gave us so many of the Psalms, uh, involved persecution from his predecessor, Saul, who put a bounty on his head, who tried to kill him by throwing spears at him, uh, and, and, and so on. Or, of course, Jesus, you know, the, main, the most famous persecution story ever told, who, who, you know, dies as the king on the cross in order to set us free from the power of death and sin. The entire New Testament itself is written in the context of the first century Roman Empire, where if you declared that anybody was Lord except for Caesar, it would get you the death penalty immediately. And, 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 and the call of discipleship in that context in the New Testament was if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God uh, raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And, and the proof positive of that is 11 of the 12 disciples died as martyrs because of their friendship with Jesus. How about number 12? That was the Apostle John who died in exile on a remote island called Patmos because, again, of his friendship with Jesus. The amazing effect, the, the, the paradoxical effect of all this persecution in biblical times was instead of shrinking, the people of God grew and grew and grew and grew, and it was, it was unstoppable even to the point where the church father, Tertullian, said these words, it's the blood of the martyrs that has become the seed of the church, the origin for its growth and, and, and the basis for its life. So, lest we think that this was an ancient reality, here is the truth about today. Over 75% of the world's population lives under severe religious restrictions, either from neighbors or from their government. Christians, in, in particular in over 60 countries, are persecuted actively by their government and by their neighbors. Each and every month, including this month, on average, 
322 Christians around the world are killed because of their friendship with Jesus. 214 churches and Christian properties are destroyed because of their friendship with Jesus. Today, 772 forms of violence are perpetrated against Christians around the world every month. Forced marriages, rapes, beatings, arrests, and death because of their friendship with Jesus. And that may lead us in the free, the land of the free, and the land of of relative safety here in the West and particularly here in the United States to ask ourselves the question, do we fit in this story? Do we have a place in it? And the answer to that is an unequivocal yes. So I'm going to give you two headings this morning to consider on this eighth beatitude. Number one will be our responsibility toward persecution, and the second will be our experience of persecution. So, we'll start with our responsibility toward persecution. So, so Jesus says these words about those who are made vulnerable, who experience bullying, especially because of their friendship with Jesus. Theirs is the kingdom of God. But you can expand this also to to anyone who is persecuted, anyone who is made vulnerable, anybody who is oppressed by people in power. Jesus is always giving special attention to the underdog, always giving special attention to people who are hurting because of the perpetrative behavior of others. You you see this, and you you could call it righteous anger. Uh, Theologians call it righteous anger, and you see this in Jesus in Uh, Acts chapter 7. You may be familiar with Acts chapter 7. That's the first recorded uh, account of a Christian martyr, and his name was Stephen. He was one of the original deacons in the the church at Jerusalem, a Greek man. And Stephen was martyred to death. And and so, think about this for a second. When, When we recite the Apostles' Creed as a church, one of the things we say is that Christ Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. That's an affirmation of what Scripture tells us, that after his work of redemption was finished, through his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus ascends into heaven, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. That means he's resting. That means he's done. There's no more work to do in terms of of the redemption story. And yet, when it says that as Stephen is in the act of being martyred to death, as people are, are, are throwing stones at him in order to kill him, it says that he looks up into the sky and he gets a glimpse of Jesus and he verbalizes, I see the Lord standing at the right hand of God. It's as if Jesus, whose work is finished, when he sees one of his own being oppressed, stands up arches his back, bows up, and says, that's my boy right there. Jesus is an anti-bully, and the people of Jesus should become the most visible anti-bullying movement in the world. We should always stand when there is perpetration that leaves others vulnerable, starting with the house of God, but continuing on, because though charity may start at home, if it ends there, it's not charity. Righteous anger, wherever bullying and perpetration is found. Elie Wiesel, Holocaust survivor in his Nobel 
uh, peace acceptance speech said this, whenever men and women are persecuted because of their race, religion, or political views, that place must, at that moment, become the center of the universe. Bishop N.T. Wright said something very similar. He said that Christians are responsible before God to exercise justice, to defend the vulnerable. When leaders fail to do this, it is the role of the people of God to remind them through critique, through non-collaboration, and if necessary, through martyrdom. N.T. Wright is talking about speaking truth to power. When power itself either, either becomes complicit through silence when there's injustice or becomes active when there is injustice, particularly toward the vulnerable. This takes incredible courage. One example of this, speaking truth to power, was Mother Teresa. You may remember this if you're old enough to remember this. She was invited to be the keynote speaker at the National Presidential Prayer Breakfast in the United States. And what she did, the small uh, in stature woman that she was, became one of the most powerful people in the world as she looked from that podium into the eyes of the two most powerful men in the world, the President and Vice President of the United States, and said these words, stop terminating your babies and give them all to me. It's risky. Nobody's going to maybe go after Mother Teresa after that. But they went after Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer, if you know the story of Bonhoeffer, you know that he was martyred as a Christian because of his zealous defense and opposition to Hitler on behalf of the Jews. Didn't share his faith, but they did share his humanity. And so he used his platform and his voice as a Christian to join the counter-movement against Hitler. And he was put in prison. He was tortured. It put his family in danger. Eventually, he died as a martyr under Hitler before Hitler was defeated in World War II. Here's one of the statements that Bonhoeffer made during that season. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering of Christ, and it is therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. In fact, it is a joy and a token of his grace. A joy and a token of his grace, by the way, that cost Bonhoeffer his life. What Bonhoeffer is emphasizing is the very same thing that Jesus is emphasizing in this eighth beatitude. The call of the gospel is not to deny your neighbor, take up your comfort, and follow your dreams. The call of the gospel is to deny yourself. Take up the cross daily. What is the cross? It's a symbol of persecution. And follow Jesus, even if it means at the cost of your own life. That's our responsibility toward persecution, to become the best friends that the world's weak and vulnerable and oppressed have ever known. Our experience of persecution. You know, this remains an open question for many of us when, when, our, when we're accustomed, uh, even to our Christianity itself, being filled with all kinds of freedoms and, and all kinds of safety. Clarification here from Jesus. He's talking about a specific kind of persecution. 
For righteousness' sake, righteousness is an equivalent word to justice, by the way, which is all the stuff I've just been talking about. For justice' sake, for standing up against perpetrators of injustice. If you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, great is your reward. And and second, because of me, maybe that has to do with your ethics. Maybe that has to do with with you maybe sometime at some point in your life uh, being part of the minority religion. Maybe Christianity will be the minority religion as it it continues to decline in, in the West. Because of me, if you receive opposition because of your friendship with me, Jesus says, I'm talking about hostility, opposition, mistreatment, rejection, that you experience because of your friendship with me, Jesus says, you are blessed. Great is your reward. There are a few things we can derive from this teaching. One is to expect it. And, and this is very curious because Beatitude number seven says, blessed are the peacemakers. Paul expounds on this in Romans when he says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. But here's the paradox between the seventh and the eighth Beatitude. When you are at peace with God, and by virtue of being at peace with God, you seek peace with all of your neighbors, there will be some people who will want to declare war on you. This is especially true if you follow the whole Jesus and not just part of him. And what I'm going to ask us all to do, including myself, is open ourselves in the next few moments, to Jesus stepping on our toes a little bit. Because as Shakespeare said, the fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, it's in ourselves. We are accustomed, all of us on some level, to follow part of Jesus, but not to follow the whole Jesus. Here's an example. One of Patty's and my uh, friends is a writer and a speaker and an outspoken advocate for the weak in her writing and in her speaking. An outspoken advocate for all human life, an outspoken advocate for all of the world's vulnerable. About a a year and a half, she took on, after adopting a girl from another country with special needs, with a heart condition, she then publicly took on Planned Parenthood and subsequently took it on the chin from people on the left. And since that time, she's been a, 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 a herald for the rights of the 16 million refugees that are displaced and vulnerable and at risk around the world. And then she started taking it on the chin from people on the right. So she's taking it on the chin from all directions. So she leaves me a message last week, and she just asked for prayer, and she says, I need prayer. I'm feeling discouraged because I am too conservative for liberals, and I'm too liberal for conservatives, and I don't know if I have a home here, to which the the appropriate answer is you're supposed to feel like an alien and a stranger in this world, and if you don't, you might be following part of Jesus, but maybe not all of him. Another example is uh, C. Everett Koop, who Uh, was appointed to serve as the United States Surgeon General by President Ronald Reagan. And uh, if you were here at the time, I realize if you're under 40, you may have no recollection or or idea who C. Everett Koop is. But when when Koop uh, was going through his confirmation hearings, uh, the left was outraged because he had been known for speaking very loudly on behalf of, of the rights of the unborn. 
and, and, and of his position, which is, 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 is right there in Scripture, that, that, that human life and the dignity and rights thereof begin at the moment the sperm and the egg unite. And so the left was outraged, but later on, after he got confirmed, later on, this thing happened to the world called the HIV, of, HIV virus, and there was a, a season of time where everybody thought that the only people who could be uh, infected with HIV was, was gay men. And what Coop did was he, he leveraged his position, he leveraged his power and the resources that he had at his disposal to attack HIV AIDS. And, and at that point in time, he began to be treated as a betrayer by his own party. What are you doing giving yourself to left-leaning causes like this? And, and he, he was written off by his own party. And, you know, like our, you know, writer, um, you know, speaker friend, he had no home. But here, I think, what, what, what Patty's and my friend and also C. Everett Coop and Jesus teach us. If you follow the whole Jesus, people are going to reject part of you. If you preach the whole Jesus, people are going to reject part of you. And like Jesus said, say all kinds of false things about you. They'll label you. They'll caricature you. They will pigeonhole you and call you names, like right-wing extremist or left-wing extremist or, you know, fill in the blank. But this is precisely where we need to be because in 2 Timothy, Paul says to his protege, young pastor Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, walking with the whole Jesus, will be persecuted will be persecuted. And so the moment you roll your eyes, oh, if I hear another pro-life this or that, oh, or if you roll your eyes, oh, if I hear another this or that about refugees and minorities, you are following part of Jesus. You're not following the whole Jesus. You are denying your neighbor to take up your comfort to follow your dreams. You are not denying yourself to take up your cross to follow Jesus. Because Jesus is for all the vulnerable. Jesus is for all the persecuted. Bonhoeffer put it this way, it is not recognition, but rejection that is the reward Christians get from the world. This was true of Jesus, it's supposed to be true of us. The conservative religious Pharisees and the liberal secular Sadducees, they both agreed on one thing, we have to get rid of Jesus. He's disturbing the status quo too much. He's messing with our creature comforts too much. He's messing with our agendas too much. We can follow part of him, but we're not going to follow all of him. Because that would mean we would have to own it that the fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars. It's not over there. It's in here. It's in ourselves. If this is foreign to our experience, if we never feel like an alien in the world, if we, 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 we never feel like we don't belong, we have to ask the question, who is discipling us? Is it the whole Jesus or part of Jesus and popular culture? Is it the whole Jesus or part of Jesus and our partisan politics? Who's discipling us? Is it the whole Jesus or part of Jesus and our love for money? 
Who's discipling us? The whole Jesus or part of Jesus and our fear of what people think about us. You know, John Stott, again, said we shouldn't be surprised if anti-Christian hostility increases, but rather we should be surprised if it does not. I mean, Christ says it. You either follow all of me or you get none of me. What's it going to be? Maybe that's why Spurgeon looked out to his congregation one day and said, I suspect that only 20% of you are actually Christians. Because he is nothing but all in. There's no other option but all in with Jesus. Expect it. But the next is rejoice in it. Talk about paradox. So before Martin Martin Lloyd-Jones, great Welsh preacher, whose commentary on the Sermon on the Mount is, is where I get most of this stuff. All good light is borrowed light, right? There's a lot of C.S. Lewis in this sermon too, so this is what you do if you're a preacher and you don't have time to, to, to prepare a sermon. You just find whatever C.S. Lewis said about it and um, sort of make it your own, but, but be sure to tell people that it comes from him. So there are two more Lewis quotes coming up just to whet your appetite. But before Martin Lloyd-Jones became a preacher, he was a very successful doctor, and, and, and the first assignment that he took as a preacher was, was in a blue-collar community on the shores of Wales. And he was swiftly, after taking a 90% salary cut, he was swiftly dismissed from the elite circles and the blue-blood circles and the networked circles that he had been part of before in his position as a leading doctor. They politely wrote him off as a religious fanatic. And and some years later, after Lloyd-Jones became Lloyd-Jones the preacher, a reporter reached out to him and and asked him the question, was it worth it? Was it worth losing your networks? Was it it worth losing your your, your elite platform as, you know, a doctor, as a mover and a shaker in in healthcare and such? Was it worth losing all that? And Lloyd-Jones boldly and fiercely responds this way, let me get this straight with you. I gave up nothing, and I gained everything. Folks, Jesus plus nothing is everything. Everything minus Jesus is nothing. Lloyd-Jones understood it. He understood verses 11 and 12. Blessed are you, happy are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you and falsely do so on my account because you're my friend. Rejoice and be glad, for so they persecuted the prophets before you. When the world, here's what he's saying, when the world treats you as a nobody, you get assigned a place with the prophets. The moment you become disregarded as a nobody, written off by the elites like Martin Lloyd-Jones, is the is the very moment you are also inducted into heaven's hall of fame and you become part of a new elite club that includes Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, David, Peter, Paul, and Mary, not the musicians. Speaking of musicians, however, you know, Eric Church came out with this really catchy tune last year called Mr. Misunderstood. Here's some of the lyrics. 
Hey there, weird kid in your high top shoes sitting in the back of the class. I was just like you. Always left out, never fit in. Owning that path you're walking in. Mr. Misunderstood. Hey there, weird kid in your high top shoes sitting in the back of the class. I was just like you. Mr. Misunderstood. I understand. That's what he says toward the end. In other words, your guitar hero, I was just like you. You know, C.S. Lewis says that every friendship begins when one person looks at another and says, oh, you too? When you become at home with Jesus and the world is no longer your home, there is another misunderstood hero is more than a guitar hero. He sees you, and he understands. Hebrews 4.15, this was a letter written explicitly to persecuted believers in the Roman Empire, people who were losing their lives and their livelihoods. Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to sympathize, who is unable to say, oh, you too, about our weaknesses, but has been tested in every way just as we are yet without sin. You ever feel misunderstood? You ever feel too conservative for the liberals and too liberal for the conservatives all at the same time? You ever get punished, either active aggressively or passive aggressively, for your ethics or your integrity that are a direct byproduct of your friendship with Jesus? He understands. But He doesn't just understand. He stands He gets off of his seat next to the right hand of the Father and stands and arches his back and says, that's my boy, that's my girl. Look, teenagers, middle schoolers, high schoolers, you are walking one of the most discouraging seasons of the life of a Christian some days. You will get bludgeoned by peer groups and queen bees for your loyalty to Jesus. Guess what? There is one who understands. And one day, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess. He's going to be the most popular person in the universe. And he's going to look right at you and say, I was just like you. I understand. Keep going. Persevere. Stay faithful. Stay loyal. Go for kindness. Don't go for cool. Nice guys do win in the end, trust me. And in the meantime, all of us, again, rejoice and be glad. This readiness to take it on the chin wherever it exists because of our friendship with Jesus is actually a sign of belonging, and that's what Jesus is saying. You know, like Lloyd-Jones, we can say, look, I lost nothing and I gained everything. Stott says this, persecution is a token of genuineness, a certificate of Christian authenticity. The final encouragement is to live in hope. Verse 12, for great is your reward in heaven. So C.S. Lewis again, heaven once attained will work backwards and turn even agony into glory. What he's talking about is the experience of waking up from a nightmare. And we all 
have had nightmares, and we know what it's like to wake up from a, a horrible dream and discover, oh my goodness, that, that horrible dream that felt so real and felt so true has just come untrue, which enables you to enjoy and, and, and experience gratitude for the life you actually have more than you would had you never had the nightmare. But what Jesus is talking about here isn't just dreamy nightmares. He's talking about living nightmares. You know, like, like Tolkien, you know, says, you know, through Sam Gamgee, you know, everything sad will come untrue. Or, or C.S. Lewis's Aslan, that's three quotes. Every, every day will be better than before. And you will finally feel at home in the country that you're given. And what do we have here in front of us? It's transition time. This is a table of persecution. This is a table born from persecution with blood all over it and with broken bread rep representing a broken body given for us. This table and everything it represents secures the reversal of every nightmare, every dreamy nightmare and every living one. Because while we look back on His death, we also proclaim His death, burial, and resurrection, Paul says, until He comes to make everything new. So Hebrews 12, I'll leave us with this. Consider Jesus, consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself, so you will not grow faint-hearted. Who was hostile toward Him? We were. We are those sinners who were hostile toward Him. It was my sin, as we sing, that held Him there until His finished work was accomplished. So Oscar Schindler, who, who also knew persecution, much like Bonhoeffer, personal mission to, 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 to lead an anti-bully movement in protection of the Jews under Hitler. Schindler said these words, true power is when you have every justification to kill your enemy and you don't. This table is a picture of that. The one who had every justification to kill his enemy didn't. Instead, he says, there's always a place at the king's table for you. When you feel the weight of what Jesus endured for you and because of you, you'll start to gain the true power that you need to endure for him. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, give us courage to be all in with you and not half in. Give us courage to be discipled only and completely by you and comprehensively by you. Father, give us open doors and opportunities to be part of the loudest, most visible anti-bullying movement in the world. And when we are persecuted, when we take it on the chin, from people to the left of us and from people to the right of us and when false things are said about us because of our friendship with you, because we're all in with you and not half in. Lord, would you give us this same encouragement? Great is your reward and you've got solidarity with Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah and David and Peter and Paul and Mary and Eric Church. Thank you, thank you, thank you for this table. We pray in your name. Amen.